0: Voices provides a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, the co founder of Femex Columbia and Fem Capital, and each week I'll dive deeper into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. Christina Lore today. I'm so excited to have you on. And I've met Christina as Up and Up, um, a brand new facial um, facial business in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, feel great face first is the tagline. And, um, you know, getting to know you has been really nice. And I'm excited to have you here in our space in Columbia today, recording Venturing Voices. So welcome. Thanks, Nell. I appreciate this warm welcome to Columbia.
1: It's definitely you know, fond memories of coming, he- coming through here for football games and weddings and seeing friends, but really supporting the mission of what Femex and Common 1501 is providing in this area um, as a former startup-aholic, you know, <laughs> reform in that sense, you know, I'm happy to
0: be a part of this community. Great. So you mentioned passing through Columbia. You're from Charleston, born and raised? I was born in Maryland, actually in
1: Leonardtown, which is, you know, as far south as you could get in tobacco country. Then I moved here into Mount Pleasant, went to Clemson, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on who's (laughs) listening. Um, But yeah, I went to Clemson and kind of have always found myself venturing west Mm -hmm. and then landing back in Mount Pleasant. Yeah. So where...
0: um how did you you have a long fruitful journey of startups you said so where would you where would you want to start talking about that journey like where did you start how did you start creating businesses well i was supporting them first and foremost it
1: was interesting because coming out of college in 2007 it was really hard to find a job i i think i can relate to some of the gen z millennials right now who are struggling to find work and You know, establishing themselves in that independence. It was certainly very dog eat dog, low pay, tons of experience. I was actually looking at one of those like Facebook or Instagram memories that kind of spurred this rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh, where was I like 10 or 15 years ago? And I think about when I graduated, I was so depressed. I couldn't figure out where to live. I was stressed. My parents were like, it's okay, the market's really bad, we're patient with you, right? but I had no sense of direction. So I go out to Kauai with people I've never even met until I landed. Um, they were friends of friends from Charleston. And I come back from Kauai, and I was like, I have to move to Asheville. And so that set off this Blue Ridge adventure mm-hmm. where I didn't have a full-time job. I said, I'm moving to Asheville, I have an apprenticeship at a letterpress studio. Oh, cool. So I'm learning how to letterpress and like remove ink with Crisco and mixing colors from the Pantone chip book and I was doing education technology and sustainable development PR on the side and somehow, you know, I conned them into a full-time job.
0: Yeah. Um so letterpress, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that piece of it. Um, yeah, it's very random. But do you, um, do you have an art and design background from school, or you just was more into like the technical aspect of it? I love the physicality of it. I love the the
1: texture and the tactile, you know, nature of the finished product. I definitely am not artistic. I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised I even like winged a mural in my studio. If you look on our Instagram, I mean, that wall was a labor of love and, and lots of hate and it's evolved. So <laughs> no, I wouldn't say
0: I was artistic. Well, I haven't seen the mural in person, but it's beautiful on social. Oh, I really like it. It, um, I grew up in Texas and I know you lived out West and, and went out West. So it's, um, I love the the landscape and the color and everything that you did. Thanks. Yeah. Definitely
1: inspired by the low country. So it's a touch of Texas, mm-hmm. um, with very salty, inspiration.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So after, um, you were doing PR and remind me what kind of PR again, I've not, I'm not familiar with that. So I
1: was in education technology pitching stories nationwide about okay. the classroom of the future. Okay. Um, back then it was just Promethean active board, which is pretty much in a leader, um, in education technology. I feel like most people had some kind of smart board or active board Got it. or, um, you know, they would have quizzes with, like, buzzing in answers with uh, before they'd used apps. But
0: they actually used, like, these mice with programmed answers. Yes, I remember. I yeah. remember those. We had those in um, when I was in grad school. In undergrad, we didn't have any of that yet. Um, so were the smart boards more for, like, younger children? Or was it college or all over the it place? It was all over
1: the place. Um, with Promethean, they were definitely in competition with smart boards. So that's just, okay. like, a very random... Tangent, but then my other clients were in sustainable development. So I've always had an interest. They were predominantly like conferences like West Coast Green, um, Eco Cities, but we don't see or hear about those types of events any longer. And I feel like the incentive to get into sustainability is often much higher than the ROI. Mm I, I think environmentally there's tremendous ROI there, but right. you know developers don't always feel the same way when it comes to the bottom line. So that's a really tough industry to, to get into. I find and have found most of the people that we were pitching for and two, they have long abandoned that. Like they've pivoted in their careers just as many times as mine. And it's interesting to see them become venture capitalists or getting into insurance technology. And so it's kind of sad how we've like abandoned the environment in that sense, but it was a really hot conversation back in 2008, 2009. I felt like there was much more to do or to carve out, but it was just a hard sell for the average consumer.
0: Yeah. So where did that, where did that take you? Did that kind of die off while you were doing it and you were like pivot time again, or, um, did you just move on to something outside of interest? So it wasn't really
1: led by a pivot. I think at that point, and this is something that I think young professionals may grapple with, you know, I think that when you hear your boss speak really highly of you, and you're like, great, that's a pat on the back. But then when you really sit and think about it and that compliment is like, nothing would happen without her, you kind of feel a little exploited. So there's like some positive reinforcement things that are like great in the workplace, but at the cost of like your mental health and sanity and your personal development, when you kind of feel like no one else is bringing enrichment to the table or you've reached you know the ceiling, in an organization, it's really hard to continue to buy in when no one's enriching you and they're reaping the benefits of you wanting to bring new PR tactics to the table or crafting pitches on the fly, but like using social media as a form of engagement. And at that point in time, a lot of brands were not on social media. So there were not guardrails. The landscape was different. Now everyone's a content producer or an influencer of their niche. You know, like, have a brand, wear it. And people really are attracted to that connection with a brand or a company. So it was very interesting to see what's happened in terms of that ownership of voice, that ownership of community engagement, and corporate social responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) But to answer your question, I kind of jumped ship. I left Asheville, came here and freelanced for a little bit. And then I kind of spurred a pattern of like working at digital agencies. So I moved to Miami. I did a stint there. Miami's not really my city. Beautiful mm-hmm. place to visit. <laughs> it was really hard living there, being yeah. someone that was that grew up on the East Coast and more conservative, you know, neighborhoods right. and settings. Um, it was very loud and it was a lot of sensory overload for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I came back for a couple weddings and was just like, I'm going to go to California. And that kind of created a, a pivot. And I was like kind of chasing that, that paper mm-hmm. um, from like a corporate and a startup avenue. So right. I was able to, to get a really diverse set of experience there.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting that you've mentioned a few times, so you you did pitches and helped support startups in, in doing their thing as part, like from the corporate perspective and not as from somebody doing the business right. aspect of it. Talk about that.
1: It was great, but then, because I felt like there was so much passion and value in what people were bringing to the table. I was like, my clients are geniuses and you can't stop being their cheerleader and pitching their story but the hard part is, is that nobody else buys in right and it you'd have a client that's like I, I why didn't we get coverage and you're like there was a landslide Phil I don't know what to tell you <laughs> you know <laughs> right um and then there were instances where you would believe in a story and then honestly you read the comments and like I don't know Dallas Morningstar or whatever and you're just like wow like they really don't like this there and that's crazy because you're kind of blind when you're in the seat of an agency or a freelancer or a third party Mm -hmm. that you don't really have the perspective of the local beat so it gave me a background and an empathy about what you bring to the table and what you bring to market like have you really checked the pulse on that audience Right. And it's really hard to go blind without that type of forethought and empathy and compassion because you might be selling with the wrong messaging. You might be pitching with the wrong ethos. And all anyone wants as a consumer is that consistency. Like, do they walk the walk? Do they talk the talk? Right. And I think in those experiences of working for other people, it's made me one kind of disappointed working for others to the point where like, it's 2021, I work for myself Yeah. (laughs) only because there's that, okay, so we have this amazing product, but something's wrong with the service. Is it customer success? Is it onboarding? And a lot of times people don't really fix the things in that process. They're just like, the product is amazing but is it, is it offshore amazing or is it like domestic amazing? And there's a lot of instances where I was just like, I feel like I could sell this, but it's just really hard when the feedback that you're getting is inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in organizations, they try to keep sales out of the loop with like the reality of the product because they can't plant that seed of doubt. So for me, it's just like, I have this business, I quit my sales job, was like, okay, I'm back in Charleston after like a stint in Austin and was like, what can I do to create this business without working for someone or needing to hire people. And I was like, I need a trade. So I quit my sales job and said, I'm just going to get my license as an esthetician. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had some amazing facials traveling and I wasn't really served in my area. So I kind of created that gap or opportunity in the market. Mm -hmm. And now, now the pitch is me. I'm pitching myself and I'm like, Hey, I'm Christina. I'm the founder of Up and Up Facial Studio, and we provide high-touch functional facials for non-invasive treatments. Mm-hmm. So for anyone that's kind of in the market for clinical results with with a holistic environment, you know, I feel like I'm right there in the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So did you... Um, I love that... I love that you're like so i just i needed a skill like a trade um so did you find the 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 need in the market and then decide esthetician was the way to go or did you have the interest to be an esthetician and then find a niche in the market that you could fill in that field what was your process
1: that's a really good question i feel like it started with me flying back from europe and i was just like i'm taking extra day to go to new york i've been wanting to try this facial and i went to this place and i was just so amazed i was like oh my gosh this is not what i expected it's efficient it actually provides really fast results maybe not as long term because i realized that i was flying on a plane after and i was like great so all of this amazing like deep puff deep load contouring that she's done i'm like oh i just got on a plane and i feel puffy again so (laughs) you know it it spurred something in me. I was like, how do I open something that makes other people feel like that? Mm -hmm. And then I just reverse engineered it. I asked myself who can do this service? What type of licensing? I was like, but it, it doesn't make sense for me to hire people that aren't as passionate about it as me. So I looked at, I like studied their business. I studied their modality. I'm still not like up to par. So that's why you, you really have to commit to yourself and say, what I do is differently different from the original source, but you know, the recipe is there, but the sauce is my own. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because you don't want to always be in that comparison mode, but I do like having that critical eye on things that inspire me. And I try to figure out how did they do that? or reverse engineer it, or what equipment are they using? So when it comes to seeing something that I like, I'm like studying. I'm like, what does that machine look like? How much does it cost? What do I need to to get it? And I think that being willing to kind of like, I don't wanna say copy or steal or, you know, but to adapt, like you see something that's not in your market, Mm -hmm. then like bring it there right?
0: and do it in your own way with your own fingerprint. Right. Um, I think, yeah, so I, I feel the same way. I mean, a lot of what I've been working on over the past few years is like, this isn't here. I want to do it. Um, I, I envy your history with how to, how to do the, the PR, the marketing, the pitch, the branding and, um, Create that. I feel like I'm, I'm very much the kind of person that like creates things as I go. I'm like, let's try it this way or add this in or do that, you know. And um, it kind of leaves you feeling like you're in just a big mess a lot of the time. Do you feel like? Do you feel like having the experience has been helpful to you? Or do you as an entrepreneur still find yourself like feeling like you're in the mess? Sometimes I wake
1: up and I'm just like, I am prepared for this. I showed up to do the work and other days I go to bed and I'm like, this is an F ton of mess. This is a cluster F. Like you guys. Yeah. I want to quit my job sometimes. Yeah. And who would I turn in that resignation to? Me. So right. it's really hard because on the days that I feel like I have it together, I've leveraged everything in my arsenal from large-scale event production to project management to creative services and freelancing within those realms but other days i'm just like i have the ingredients but the banana bread is not coming together so it's like the ratio is off and at that point you kind of have to be vulnerable and separate the shame from the insecurity Mm -hmm. and i have a business coach like everyone should find a coach within their budget because there's so many different types of coaches. There's lifestyle, burnout, you know, healing inner child wounds or whatever you need to like move on to the next step. And I feel like I did the inner child work last year. And this year I'm like, I'm in it, hold me accountable and give me the guidance to kind of like make sense of the
0: mess because sometimes it's hard to walk yourself out of it. Yes. Thank you for that. That's really, um, that's really helpful. And, and, you know, to your point, there's so many different areas that we go through, you know, whether it's, I need therapy to work through this child thing, or I need business coaching, or I need a financial person. I think that, you know, I find myself getting overwhelmed with like, which person, which person do I need to like, get me out of this mess today? So um, it sounds like you have found a great coach to help you get there.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely feel like It's hard when you are bootstrapping and you're like, I can't afford that. You have to think about, can you afford losing money on the table when you are not at 110%? Can you afford not having that space to think? And a lot of these professionals, they often offer like a one hour consulting fee. And if you can just swallow that pill and say, I can afford an hour here, I can afford an hour there to make myself better, or to run my business the way it needs to, then you owe that to yourself. Otherwise, I, I'm i so guilty of this. There's like a bad avoidance cycle of like tax prep that I'm circling in. Mm-hmm. And I have to check in with my person, even though <laughs> I've already paid her. I said, did we file an extension? Because there was like emotional triggers with going through that for me that make it very hard to complete. And... That's, that's the ugly and sh- like shameful part of entrepreneurship. Again, but when I get the job done, I've already removed the shame. I'm like halfway there. Yeah. y'all. It's, it's not going <laughs> to happen tomorrow, but I'm halfway there. So I think it's really important to not lie to yourself and not create a story. Things are frustrating. But if you can say that I'm avoiding it because of X, mm-hmm. then like you can go to bed a little lighthearted. And you can say, I have to time block. I have to do whatever I need in my schedule to complete that task. Whether it's starting the business, filing your LLC paperwork, you know, paying your sales tax or figuring that out. And just so everyone knows, there's tons of resources out there. So if you are denying yourself the ability to get out of that mess or that accountability and you didn't use a free resource, there's no one else to blame but you. Right. That's the hard part. I mean, I wish (laughs) I had a partner to say, "Hey, help me out."
0: Right. Right. So, um, you're back in Charleston. Do you or Mount Pleasant? Mm -hmm. Mount Pleasant. I kind of lumped them all together in one. Okay. I know they're not. (laughs) Um, Do you Do you feel like this is your place? Um, Do you feel yourself kind of settling in, and and this is where this is where I'm going to be for a while? Yes. Only because of the fear of
1: having to start over again with zero clients. It's not easy. And everyone says this, it's not easy to start from nothing unless this build, this business had legs or a brand and it became a multi-city situation. Would I consider leaving? Right now, my business is too fragile. Yeah. I've always described myself as my head and my heart are never connected, right? Mm-hmm. Like, My heart wants to be in all the places. My head's like, logically, I'm here. Or it could have been the other way, depending on where you caught me in my life or my resume. But for now, it feels like a good fit. I'm in a brick and mortar business now. I don't have that autonomy the way I did working from home for startups because that was my independence. And now I'm like, okay, plant the seeds. You're rooted This is it. And so it's a good place and time for me. It's Mm -hmm. so hard when people reconcile, I'm living where I grew up. This is my hometown. Because you don't want to be associated with versions of yourself that people know. Right, right. That part's hard. So reinvent that, rewrite that, make new friends. And I think for us as individuals, we have to let that version of ourselves go and not really say that that's because that's, what people in high school knew me as or people in college, I think it's really down to the point of like, how do you view yourself? And are you looking at yourself in the mirror more accurately or has the rose colored lens kind of fallen over your eyes? And then you're just like taken back to another place in time.
0: Right. Um, so you with up and up, um, you mentioned, you know, this, the secret sauce for you, like, how did you take, you know, the esthetician world, facials, they've been around forever. What is your secret sauce or your spin that makes Up and Up great?
1: I try to focus on the user experience. I don't want to have a very complicated menu. I want you to feel comfortable choosing a modality or a treatment that fits your goals. So a lot of people come in with one of three attitudes. One is you're the professional, you tell me, and that's dangerous because I'm not a plastic surgeon. So a part of me is like, <laughs> you want quick and fast results. And now I'm kind of like worried that you don't understand that this process is a journey. Right. So I try to take my clients by the hand and we do a lot of uneducation. There's a lot of habits for breaking, navigating through beauty marketing, because that's actually, um, really difficult when people are like, okay, I'm like, on the anti-acne train, but I still have acne. And I think it's because you're drying yourself out to the point of creating a cycle where it's constantly inflamed or going through something. I feel like the best way I can make change in someone's routine or product application at home is focus on the moisture mm-hmm. because we're under moisturizing or we're layering moisture in ways that we're actually dehydrating ourselves. So when I get people in the room, I'm kind of like, what are you using? What are you running out of? I want to meet them where they are. Some people are like, I'm in it to change three things at once. Some people are like, I can only do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's no shame in that. And something that goes unchecked is self-esteem with skin Mm -hmm. because some people will just do what I do with money. They'll just avoid it. Right? Right. (laughs) I should say money in general. Love money. I can handle it. It's just the tax prep is my my downfall. But I will say, you know, for men, if skincare is like really hard for them to grasp, they're just going to avoid it. They're going to continue using the two-in-ones or, you know, I use a cleanser, but I don't moisturize. And you're like, how is your skin functioning? <laughs> and then you get your hands on them a couple of times. And this is for any new client, male, female. Once you get a good routine on them and they're like, wow, my skin feels like that longer than just today, they they start to have that trust. And sometimes I kind of need the clients that let go and they're like, okay, let's take it the kind... Let's take a kindness route. What does that feel like? Um, Some people will take the advice and they'll do the chemical peels and they'll be on this journey with me and then they go back to old habits. And then I have to like support them through that because now their skin is a little dehydrated or dry because that's where they're used to is drying things out. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, let's just treat our zits kinder. Right. And let's, <laughs> let's put some love on these blemishes because if you don't, it's going to bite back. Right. Um, and even with my own skincare journey, I struggle you know, to a certain point because I have extremely reactive skin. Has it gone down a lot? Totally. Do I have tons of um, scars from that inflammation? Absolutely. So it's really important to me to be very approachable and knowledgeable and accessible to my clients because sometimes as a consumer myself, I felt like I wasn't really finding what I needed in the market. And so I could give anecdotes all day long, but it really comes down to, was I too intimidated to ask those questions? Was I... Did I felt intimidated by the price point to continue going? So I have a menu called Habitual Rituals, which makes 30-minute facials more affordable, and that's someone that could come in weekly or monthly, right, and weekly sounds bizarre, but if you think about it, you know how would you spend $200? Would you spend it once a week with support? If you could afford it, totally. If you can't, once a month spread out those payments, Um, and if you were just like, I'm not trying to save on 30 minutes, I just want the 60 or 75 minute facial. I have a full service offering at that point. And I feel like my clients do come for the experience. They do come to talk and I I feel proud that we've created a safe place that's very inclusive. And, you know, in the future, as I'm able to grow out of the room, I would love to have like a more ADA adaptive business because where do people in wheelchairs go or where do people that are hard of hearing go or who's willing to be patient and like guide someone that might be blind or hard of seeing into a chair and, and doing that with grace. I mean, there's so many opportunities in beauty and wellness that we haven't really tapped out of. Mm -hmm. And in the future, if I could be an example of just like damn good business that gets shit done, you know, to, to the point of venturing voices. I just want to make waves and, and impacts with, um, underserved communities and and be able to provide jobs to those people that identify as such so that, you know, it feels safe to have these questions. It feels safe to take a little bit more time.
0: Right. I think that I, um, you know, I noticed right away and I have so much appreciation and gratitude for your inclusivity, um, with your brand, you know, anytime that, that you meet a beauty brand that cares more about, um, you know, beauty, (laughs) you know, like outward, um, commercial beauty, but more of like getting to know the person and helping their beauty come out, um, for who they are instead of creating something new for them, um. I think is really wonderful. So thank you for approaching it that way. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I think there's so much we can do to
1: level the playing field for everyone. It's just so hard when they say beauty and wellness is for
0: everyone when it clearly doesn't feel that way. Right, right. So you mentioned it a little bit, but um, why do you continue to venture? So why do you push back um, in the face of adversity, of hardship? Why, why is it important to you?
1: Without being a glutton for punishment, (laughs) I I definitely feel like discontent usually, right? Like I can do something that everyone else does. Let's say it's, I don't know, we all buy a bottle of water, but I want to find a better way to do that. Or I want Mm -hmm. to find like a better water bottle to get. So that's more anecdotal, but it really comes down to... Have we answered all the questions when it comes to user experience or user logic? Have I answered all the questions that I was asking? And I feel like I have in building this brand or creating this market for high touch functional facials, but someone will always ask a new question. Someone will always kind of keep you on the heels about to turn into like another left turn or right turn. And I just feel like, I'm always adapting and I'm always willing to break something before I buy it and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but I'll buy it. Um, And I'm just so interested in improving that usability because the way we market something, you know, it's weird. I look back at some of the clients I freelanced for and I used to say, but I want this to be a marketing first business. I want the business to actually have some heart and use in ways that we can market it better instead of like using marketing to fix something like bad usability. So it's been hard for me to find people that identify that way. I think the last client I had in Austin said, yeah, we are a marketing first business. I'm like, okay. And looking back, I mean, They've achieved a lot of amazing things for being a hardware startup, Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it was really hard to tell the story or pitch it from the angle of like, this is the best use when they wanted their clients and their businesses to use their product a certain way. So that was really challenging. I think, you know, I want to solve the problems with messaging and with service as opposed to being reactive.
0: I'm trying to be proactive. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Sometimes it's, um, and I think marketing works a lot better when it's, you know, when the marketing helps you realize that you needed something or that something like identifies with you as opposed to, um, oh, okay. Like I heard that thing, you know, sucked or <laughs> didn't work right. Or, um, you know, was trying to. I guess, you know, trying to push at a certain way that the audience doesn't want it. I think that's another thing that that gets tricky is when something is pushing something and the audience is like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. And, um, yeah.
1: But I think inherently we also assign morality to things like this thing is good. This thing is bad. And I think now knowing what we know about therapy and self-worth and self-confidence and accountability, I think more people are emotionally intelligent to avoid those types of morality exercises. Like we shouldn't be calling good skin, bad skin. It's just like skin that we have today is right. reflecting what we ate three weeks ago. Like right. it's a thing. So there, I think we're kind of getting better at impermanence. It's really tough as the individual meditation, but like I think, I definitely believe that there's so much more to embrace and build on once we let go of the past and the future.
0: Yeah. Yes. And on that note, I'll leave everyone to reflect there. That was so wonderful. Thank you for sharing your journey today and your story. We're excited to have you in the space to provide Columbia with your amazing facials. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Nell. Yep. All right. See you next week. Voices. We're excited to release a new podcast every Friday, which can be found on our website at femxcolumbia.com forward slash venturing voices. We look forward to you tuning in next week and introducing you to another badass woman. Thanks so much.